I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Second Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to preach to you about three simple words, trust in God, trust in God. I'd like to read from Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and I want to break into the chapter at the 8th verse and a few following, and then skip to the 20th verse. And a few following. Mm -hmm. Paul is writing, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble. Would you say trouble? Trouble. Yes, which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure, above all strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, We had the sentence of death in ourselves. And we should not trust, would you say trust, in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, and does deliver, present tense, us, in whom we trust that he will still, future tense, deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And then if you shift down to verse number 20 Paul says, he continues for all the promises of God In him, capital H, are yes, and in him, capital H, amen, to the glory of God. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I'll stop there. Paul helps us to understand something about trusting in God. Now, the book of 2 Corinthians is quite different than 1 Corinthians. They are both letters written by Paul to believers in the city of Corinth. These were people that Paul loved. He'd set their church in motion under the apostolic grace that God had given to him. But this was a church filled with trouble. And so students of the New Testament will remember that when you study the letters to Corinth, it is as almost if he's writing two different groups of people. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are not at all the same. Mm -hmm. The church at Corinth was filled with carnal Christians that according to the word of God were running throughout Corinth and other places using their religion for show. Their ministry was not sound. 
They were show-offs. They had spiritual gifts that they were using out of order. And in many cases, their public worship was nothing more than a display of flesh. When you read in 1 Corinthians, Paul takes the time to talk about a lot of what they were doing wrong. In chapter 1, he declares that they are called to be saints. But then he goes ahead and talks to them about their immaturity. And so by the time you get to chapter 3, he calls them babes or babies in Christ. He said, when I was with you, I wanted to give you the meat of the word, but you couldn't take it. And so I had to give you milk rather than meat. And then in one place in chapter 3, he plainly says, you are carnal or you are worldly or you are fleshly. And so to these flesh-driven, nearly hypocritical folk, he begins to minister correction to them. He said, one way that I know you're carnal is because there are divisions in the church. That you're separated by groups according to who baptized you. Some of you are talking about Peter is your preacher. Others say Apollos is your preacher. Others say I'm your preacher. And I'm glad I didn't do anything to baptize any of you because of the division in the church. Teaching that where there is division in church, that is carnal. He goes ahead in 1 Corinthians and even talks to them about their personal lives. In chapter 5, he said, you even have a young man in the church shacking up with his stepmother. He has taken his stepmother away from his father. And they are living together in open sin. He said, even, even the Gentiles wouldn't tolerate that. Even the sinners wouldn't tolerate that. And yet you come to church every day and say nothing about it. He said both of them should be put out of the church until they repent. He goes on to talk to them about legal troubles. He said you've been taking one another to court before an unsaved judge. A man that is not a man of faith. And you have been suing one another in court when matters between brothers and sisters in the household of faith ought to be dealt with at the church. Your pastor ought to be your arbitrator. And whatever your pastor rules is what you ought to live by as the judgment of God. He talks to them about the way they have worship. He said, when you come together, your women are running wild in the church. He said, they are behaving unbridled as if they have no ladylike qualities. They are loud and out of order. He said, when you have the love feast or the Lord's Supper, rather than observe it properly, you bring an abundance of food and an abundance of wine. And you eat too much and the whole church gets drunk. He said, it should not be named among you. He goes on to talk to them about the women. And because in Corinth during that time, there were cults that were being led by women. 
And you will notice he corrects the women because he did not want unbelievers to come to a Christian service and mistake it for a cult that was being raised up somewhere else in the city. That's why he says to the church at Corinth, let your women keep silent. Because the way they've been conducting themselves in worship is overshadowing the man of God. The man of God cannot get the word of God out because the women in your church have a wild spirit. He said even when you come together in public, there needs to be order in what you do. And if one speak, let everybody else listen, but you can't all talk at the same time. And if one brings a message in tongues, wait on an interpretation. And if an interpretation does not come, stop all tongues right there and proceed on in a language that everybody can understand. He says, as a matter of fact, you're messing up the gift so bad, I wish you would understand that love is superior to spiritual gifts. So in chapter 13, he said, although I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, prophets mean nothing. See, even if I give charitably, give my body to be burned, even if I give all I have to feed the poor, but if I don't do it in love, it profits me nothing. He said, love suffers long. Love is patient. Love is kind. The way you all are handling yourselves in church ain't no love in your church. Everybody's trying to be the deepest one, the loudest one. Everybody wants to be the one on top. Everybody is competing with everybody else. And that's not the way the house of God ought to be run. No matter how eloquent your voice is, no matter how gifted you are, even if you got a couple of certificates from Birmingham Esonian Baptist College, if there is no love in what you do in the house of God, it is an insult to the Holy Spirit. Some people, Paul is suggesting, earn all of that or gain all of that just so they can hold it up over others. Look at me. Look how deep I am. Look look how wonderful I am. Listen at my language. Listen at how I worship God. Watch me over here. And Paul said, that's wrong. He said, let everything be done decently. I wish I had some help here. So he wrote a strong letter in 1 Corinthians. That letter was so strong it caused no small stir amongst the congregation. When they got that letter and read it to the people, the people got mad with Paul. Because some folk, especially if they're carnal, don't want to be corrected. You can really tell the level of a person's spirituality in how they accept correction. Because a person that is growing in the Lord wants to be corrected. So they won't make a fool out of themselves and do it wrong every time. Because if you don't get corrected, you only grow worse in your error. As a matter of fact, the old folk used to say, practice makes perfect. And if you practice wrong, you only get better in it. I don't know about you, but I want to be corrected. If I'm not doing it right, tell me how to get it right. But anybody that resists correction is demonstrating how carnal they are. And this carnal congregation was mad with Paul. 
They were so mad with him, they did what churches usually do when they get mad at a preacher. They put lies out on him. They started lying on Paul right and left. They questioned his authority. Who is he to say these things to us in such a manner? He came here, set us up, and left us. How dare he send us such a hard letter? Then they even questioned his preaching and said, you know, his letters are good, but his preaching is boring. You know, in the book of Acts, Paul preached one night. So long until a boy sitting in the window fell asleep, fell out of the window, broke his neck and died. And Paul had to go down and revive him. I hope you pray with me tonight. I don't feel like raising the dead in here. And even beyond that, they question his sexuality. He's traveling with Aquila and Priscilla. No doubt. He's he likes men and women. Well, well, yeah. So he had to defend himself. And that's what you have in 2 Corinthians. It is a personal letter with tears in his eyes. Defending his ministry to those people. You see in 1 Corinthians he's correcting them. In 2 Corinthians he's burdened because of the lies they put out. Some even said he wasn't with the original 12. All he's doing is going around receiving collections. He's about money. So when you read 2 Corinthians, it is the hardest letter, the hardest book in the New Testament to understand. Because it follows no outline. There's no doctrine in it. It's not like the book of Romans. It's not like Colossians. When you read 2 Corinthians, this is a guy whose heart is broken. And he is writing to those that got saved under his ministry. And he is answering everything that they've said about him. So when you read 2 Corinthians, you find him talking to them even about the boy shacking up with his stepmother. He says in 2 Corinthians, okay, they've been out there long enough now. Go and restore them back to the ministry. Certainly by now they've repented. He talks to them about his own ministry and the burden that he carried. He reminds them that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. That he had it really going on as a Jew. But he forsook all of that and left all of that behind to suffer for the gospel. He reminds them that he has served brokenhearted. He served naked. He served cold. He served shipwrecked. He's gone through trial after trial after trial after trial. He wants them to know he is a man of God. So it's in 2 Corinthians you find him saying those statements like, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I wish I had some help in that. It's in 2 Corinthians where he reminds them that although we are cast down, we're not forsaken. Although we are persecuted, although we are hunted like wild animals, God takes care of us. And he says this, this light affliction is but for a moment. It's in 2 Corinthians where he talks about being an ambassador for Christ and beseeching you in Christ's stead, be reconciled unto God. It's in 2 Corinthians that he wants them to understand that being a child of God ain't easy. 
and carrying the gospel for God is not a picnic. And in chapter 1, he opens chapter 1. His introduction talks about his trouble. Chapter 1, he says in verse 8, I read it to you. We don't want you to be ignorant of what we go through as sufferers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want you to be ignorant of the thing. We don't want you to look in the pulpit and think that we're glamorous. We don't want you to look at us and think that we've got something to brag about. We don't want you to look at us and think that when you see men of God that they have got some, some great gimmick going on. He said, I want you to know we're trusting in God. And church, he gives them some keys to trusting in God that I want to talk to you about. Because he helps them to understand that trust is a process. Now, belief is an event, but trust is a process. You can believe in an instant, but you can't trust in an instant. You see, trust is built experientially. Trust is built through relationship. Trust is built as I get to know you. I can believe when I first meet you, but I may not be right. But as I get to know you, I can build trust in you. I wish I had a witness. And so in verse 8, he said, we don't want you ignorant of the trouble. And that's the first thing I want to talk about. God develops our trust through our trials. You see, in order to be saved, what does the Bible say? God so loved the world, right there, help me right there, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, see when I was growing up in the old church, they would say, do you trust the Lord when you get saved? When you get off the mourner's bench, they, the old folk would stick their hand out and say, young man, are you willing to trust God? Do you trust God? Now they had a little thing confused right there. You see, you can't trust in an instant. No, 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 no. No, you believe, but as you know God, the belief disappears. All right, let's try it like this. There's a difference in believing and knowing. How many of you believe I'm standing up here preaching tonight? Now, why would you believe it and you're looking at me? See, belief is only something you exercise when you don't know nothing else. Well, yeah, all right. You came to Jesus, you believe, but you never met him. You never been to Bethlehem. You never been to Calvary. You never met him. You never been to the empty tomb. He didn't walk in Beulah 44 years ago and say, I'm here to attend the revival. He wasn't invited to preach the revival this week. You ain't never met him. So when you first came to him, you believed what the preacher said. The preacher said, there is a God. Do you believe it? You said, he said, yes, sir. He said, Jesus died on the cross. Do you believe it? You said, yes, sir. Uh, Jesus died for your sin. Most of y'all didn't even know what sin was. He said, do you believe that? 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. See, you only can believe in what you've never seen. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the truth. I don't believe in God. Well, well, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I know there is a God. I wish I had something. Somebody's been answering my prayers. Somebody's been healing my body over and over again. Somebody's been walking with me through my troubles. Somebody's been keeping me and safe in the midst of my trials. Somebody, and listen, I know there is a God. When I came to him that Wednesday night, I could only believe. I don't believe anymore. I'm here to tell you he's real. See, that's how a whole lot of folk get in trouble. They trust folk they don't even know. Oh, I don't have any help here. You met somebody on the internet or your friend introduced you to somebody. Y'all get on the phone three times. You already telling them your secrets. Already telling them where you work, how much you make. Already telling them stuff about you you shouldn't tell anybody until you've known them two years. But you say, we got a connection. First time we talked on the phone, you know we talked three hours. We got a connection. Next thing you know, you're giving the Negro a key to your house. Don't know nothing about it. But then a few months into the relationship, you realize he ain't quite right. Matter of fact, not only is he not quite right, he's controlling, he's jealous, he's mean, and he don't treat you right. But by that time, you've invested so much of your time and so much of your energy and so much of your money. Oh, I ain't got no witness here, but I'm going to just preach it anyhow. If you left this service tonight and you stopped to get gas and a stranger walked up to you and said, I'm homeless, can I spend the night at your house? What would you say? No, sir. No, sir. But if Dr. Patterson was at the gas station and he walked up to you and he said, oh, my, my, my lights are out at the house due to the storm. The house is hot, ain't got no air in it. Can I go home with you? Yes, sir. You would say, yes, sir. You know why? Because you know him. The reason you won't let the homeless man go home with you, he might rob you. He might rape you. He might rape your children. He might murder you. But Reverend Patterson ain't going to do none of that. You will make him comfortable because you know him. And the reason why you trust him is because you what? God doesn't want you to stay at belief. Belief is newborn faith. Trust is faith with gray hair. Belief is the beginning of your Christian walk. Trust is the maturity of your Christian walk. If you've been in church 10, 20 years and you're still walking around there talking about you believe in the Lord, it's something wrong with your faith. You got some midget faith. You got some underdeveloped faith because you don't believe in God. You have to know there is a God. What did Paul say? I know. In whom I have believed. And I, I know, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed in him. What did James say? My brethren, count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing this. 
You got to know. But baby, you can't know unless you've been through something. Why does God allow me to get in trouble? Look at what Paul said in verse 8. He said, we don't want you ignorant of the trouble we had in Asia. Now, he, he doesn't tell us what that trouble was. When we read in the book of Acts, we see where there was a, a great, great conflict in his life in Asia. And he could have been alluding to that. I'm not so sure if that was it. But here's what else he says in the verse. He said it was so bad. Right. Death looked like it was imminent. Mm-hmm. There's another translation that says we thought about suicide. Yeah, yeah. That what we, that fight we had in Asia was so bad, we thought the only way out of it was to die. May I say this to you and you don't get mad with me? If you don't have some experience that is so bad in your life that it drives you to nobody else but God, you will never know him. Every true child of God that is serious about their growth in the Lord is going to have to go through something that God can prove himself real in your life. Oh, I wish I had a witness up in here that would tell you they've been to death's door. Or they were so depressed, it was so dark, that divorce they went through was so awful, that sickness was so bad, that job loss was so bad, until they didn't think they could make it through another day. That's why those old folk that raised us had stronger trust in God than we do. Come on now, we got it too easy. We got everything we want at our fingertips. We ain't got to go to the cotton field. I don't have a witness here. We don't have to go out to the well to draw water. And when you pull it up, it's full of bugs and spiders and weeds. I don't have any help here. On a hot day like today, 95 degrees, you didn't have to go in your kitchen and build a fire so you could cook. No, we've got it real easy. We don't even have to cook. We can go to the drive-thru window. I wish I had a witness. If we want to eat at home, we ain't got to build a fire. We can turn on a microwave. I mean, we got it real easy. We don't even have to worry about the supply of water. We've got water in the faucet and bottles of water in the refrigerator. And so for us, life is so easy. We really don't know what it means to depend on God. But those old folk that used to sing walk with me, they meant that because they've struggled every day. They didn't even have any meat to eat except the little skin they put in the peas. Might be lucky enough to have a chicken on Sunday and if the preacher came, they couldn't eat none of that. I don't have any witnesses here. They didn't have health insurance. They had a medicine cabinet. And inside the medicine cabinet, they had castor oil, cod liver oil, mercurical, three sixes. When they got the flu, they couldn't do an Alka-Seltzer. They had to do cow chip tea. Now, I know somebody don't know what that is, and I've never drank it, but that's when you take the manure out in the cow pasture. 
put it in hot water and drink it to cure the flu. Now you know you got to be sick if you got to drink that in order to make it. Yes, sir. Friend of mine that grew up in Canada, friend of mine grew up in Canada, his mother used to make that cow chip tea. And she had a real bougie brother who was my friend's uncle. And he would just talk about her. Uh-huh. Mabel, how in the world y'all drink that stuff? That's yeah. just nasty. Yeah. But that flu hit him one year. All right. yeah. Now the flu is not what folk call the flu now. You just got a bad cold. Yeah. But the real flu will put you in the bed. Yes, Your body will ache from head to toe. Yeah. And that flu hit him one year and he come dragging to the Lord Mabel, I'm so sick. Lord have mercy. Listen, Mabel, can you make me some of that tea? <laughs> she yes, said, yes, yeah, yeah, John, I, I can make it. Lord, I'm so sick. If you just make me some, I, I sure will appreciate it. How long is it going to take? She said, well, it's going to take a while because I got to get enough of it. Then I got to boil the water and, you know, I got to build a fire and boil it. I got to get it. I got to get together for you. He said, oh, Lord. He said, well, listen, can you break off a piece and let me be chewing on it? I don't have any help here. You eat chitlins for fun. They ain't chitlins for nourishment. Chitlins for you is an option. For them, it was a regular diet. That's why with all the money you all make, you won't pay tithe. Because you don't know how to trust God. You ain't learned yet. See, if you had to go through what they went through and you made some money, you'd be glad to do the word of the Lord. But because you hadn't really struggled, you get that paycheck, and the first thing you think about is how you're going to enjoy the money. Oh, I don't have a witness here. So you even get a bigger screen TV. You even get a shinier car. You even get a bigger house. You even take a bigger vacation, and you don't think about 10% is the Lord's. So the Lord lets you go through a recession to let you know Without him, you can't make it. I wish I had some help. He let houses get foreclosed on. Cars get repossessed. Jobs closed down so that you will know it's only in God that we live and move and have our being. Paul said we had trouble. And that trust that we have, he said we had this trouble that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. What does trouble do in your life? It turns your focus to God. So when you hear somebody recite that passage, God is our refuge and strength, you say yes! When you hear somebody quote the passage, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. You say yes. But when you ain't been through nothing, you can't shout. 
Oh, I wish I could find a witness. He's Dr. Patterson. He said, we trust in God who has delivered us. Past tense. Who does deliver us. And in whom we trust will yet. Oh, your trust has to be for past, present, and future. And the reason why your troubles keep coming, keep coming, look like every time you turn around something else happened, you got to keep your testimony updated. You know, faith will get rusty if you don't use it. You got to keep your testimony updated. People sometimes they get them testify, but they want to talk about something happened 30 years ago. Oh, I can tell you something that God did 30 days ago. Because my testimony has been updated. It's like when I'd be in the house and the insurance man would come by. You remember back then the insurance man would come get the money. You couldn't pay online or put a check in the mail. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, he'd come knocking on the door. And remember, he'd have this great big book under his arm. And I'd, as a little boy, I'd sit there, what in the world is in a book that big? And he'd come by and pick up that $2 yeah. on mama's insurance. And she'd, she'd go in a little snuff box and get that $2 out. Can't nobody pray with me tonight. Get that $2 out. And he'd take the $2 and head out the door. She'd say, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute now. Because he marked up his big book, but she had a policy hanging on the wall. And she'd go in there and get a policy, come back and say, before you go, mark my book up. I wish I had somebody here tonight. The reason why you go through what you're going through is so your book can get marked up. The reason why something happened last week is so your book can get marked up. The reason why you said finish one trial, start on another one, is so your book can get marked up. Because you got to keep fresh faith. Every time you look around, the devil has launched a newfangled attack. All this gun violence, all this shooting, more shooting and killing today in Germany. It's long from over. You need a fresh faith. You need a fresh faith. Past, present, and future. Because continuing challenges update your faith. Here's the last thing and let's go home. Not only does God develop our faith through our trials, but God deepens our trust through his tutelage. God, check this out. According to the way Paul wrote that, monitors my faith. He is so in love with me. The Holy Ghost is in my life and one of the ministries of the Spirit is to help my faith or my trust get deeper. So he said, you helped us together by prayer. And since he mentions prayer, when he gets to verse 20, he said, let me tell you all this. All the promises of God in his word for you as a child of God are yes and amen. In other words, if God promised it, you can have it. I don't have any help here. What God promised Abraham, somebody help me say all the promises. Oh yeah, what God promised David, somebody help me say all the promises. 
See, I'm not a Jew. I, I wasn't born under the Jewish order. And I know the Old Testament is predominantly Jewish. And if God was only good to Jews according to his promises, that would exclude me. But I am in Christ. And Christ was Jewish. So everything that God promised Abraham, I also am the seed of Abraham. The Jew is the seed of Abraham by natural birth. I am the seed of Abraham by faith and spiritual birth. And if God told Abraham and Sarah something, Sherman got it too. All the promises. Now if you don't believe it, go on and live in default. But I believe it. I believe it. All the promises of God. And God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, would you say yes? yes. Wait, would you say wait? wait? And better, would you say better? better? Now I know some people say, well, you know, God answers prayer, yes, wait, and no. And God knows I know what you mean. I just can't find the verse. Because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> every time Jesus brings up prayer, he answers, he said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door. Are you scared? Knock and the door. Jesus said, whatsoever things you ask the Father, in my name, he will do it. Jesus said, if any two of you agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. He said, if any two or three of you are get together in my name, still talking in the context of prayer, I will be in the midst. I was talking about prayer. That's not talking about you having a, a service and didn't advertise it properly and only two or three showed up. Well, we glad to be here today. I know it ain't many folk, but the Bible said two or three. Gathered in, no, that's talking about prayer. That's not talking about you not doing your work and filling up the church. No. God answers prayer according to every verse I read. Yes. Which means yes. Wait. Which is a yes too. But not right now. Because you ain't ready for it. And then thirdly. By substitution. In other words, what you ask God for is not his will. So what he does is he gives you what is his will simply because you were humble enough to ask for something. Oh, I see my work is cut out for me tonight. All right, let's do it like this. The Bible said we, we know we have the petitions that we ask when we ask anything according to his will. See, prayer is designed to get God's will done on the earth, not to get my will done in heaven. A whole lot of folk, when they pray, they think they're telling God what to do. Then they want to tell God what job to give them. Tell God who they want to marry. Tell God what town they want to live in. Lord bless it. They go out and do what they want to do, then bring it to God. I'm just believing God, Pastor, that he's going to bless it. What did he tell you to do that? 
No, this is us. I just, you know, I know God. Now, one lady told me this. Pastor, I heard you preach about God has a permissive will and a perfect will. So I asked him to let me have the permissive will. Because I know exactly who I want to be with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't order God around because you got a little prayer list. But here's what God does. Because, see, I'm, one, I'm a preacher that believes nothing happens to you unless God is involved. All right. Yeah. And anything you get, God sent it to you mm-hmm. through prayer. Because yeah. he said, ask, you shall be given, seek, you shall find, you shall be open. So, let, let me prove this. How many of you have ever prayed for stuff and you never got it? Oh, yeah. Anybody ever prayed for it and it never came? Don't be yeah. scared. Oh, yeah. That's right. Get in the service. Prayed for it and never came. Never got it. All right. How many of you have ever got stuff you never prayed for? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, here's what Paul said in Romans 8. It said, when we go to pray, we know not the petitions we ought to ask for. We don't even know what we ought to do. He said, but the Holy Ghost makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You see, what happened is I asked God for an apple, but that wasn't his will. His will was for me to have a banana. The next thing I know, a banana showed up. I thought I was going to get an apple, but what I didn't know is the Holy Ghost is here with me. Jesus is there with the Father. When I pray, the Holy Ghost intercepts my prayer. And anything in it that's not right for me, because he is God, he fixes it for me. Then he emails it to Jesus. When Jesus gets it, being the son of God at God's right hand, he hands it over, perfected by the Holy Ghost, to the Father. When the Father gets it, he doesn't even have to read it because it's been stamped in the blood of Jesus. He turns it over to the angel, and the angel brings me what I never really knew I asked for. Oh, I don't have enough Bible help in here. Listen, the very next verse in Romans 8 says, For he that searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Remember when you were in school and you took a test and you got some answers wrong and the teacher marked your paper and gave it back to you. And that answer that you put, she crossed out and wrote the correct answer on top of it. That's what the Holy Ghost does. When I ask God for an apple, the Holy Ghost is God. His ministry is to be with me. He looked at my prayer and saw me asking for an apple. And because he is God, he knows that God wants me to have a banana. So he crossed out apple and put in banana. When it got up to Jesus, Jesus knew it was already fixed. He hands it over to God, and God gives it to the deliverer. You say, well, Bishop, that don't make no sense. Yeah, because you see, I am a child of God. And I heard Jesus say, what man amongst you? If a child asks you for a fish, you give him a stone. What man among you, if your child asks you for food, you give him a snake? He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the father know how to give the spirit to those who ask him? What 
Jesus is saying there is, I'm his child. If I ask him for something that ain't right for me, he's not going to just look at me and say, no! Then the next day I ask him for something else, no! Would you do that to your kids? Your kids come in, Mama, I want some ice cream. Uh-uh, eat them collard greens. See, the thing is, you keep on God to give you ice cream, but you can't get strong off ice cream. He gives you collard greens. You say, I'm tired of eating these collard I'm tired of these struggles. I'm tired of these pains. I'm tired of going through these ups and downs. But God is maturing you. Because if he gives you ice cream on top of ice cream on top of ice cream, you're going to get fat. You're going to get lazy. You're going to get full of the wrong ingredient. So even though you ask for dessert, he said you got to eat your vegetables first. When you eat your vegetables, if you look around, every now and then he'll sneak in a little ice cream. He'll give you a blessing you weren't looking for. He will give you a benefit you didn't even know existed. I'm ready to go home now. But he said yes and amen. And then he said, and I'm through, last verse. Now he which establishes us with you is Christ. I'm through, but that word established got me. And I got to say this before I sit down. The word established, can you say established? Established. It's a great word. As a matter of fact, you know, there are several words that come out of the word established. The first word is the word stable. So the verse could read this way. Now he that stabilizes you. Remember a minute ago when I said God answers prayer, yes, wait, and something better. What are you waiting on? You see, when God tells you to wait, he didn't turn you down. No, no. He starts working on you. All right. Now, some of us God been working on for 10 years to answer affirmatively a prayer that you prayed. But he can't give you what you want because you ain't stable. You ever gave somebody something that wasn't stable? Hey, you ever seen a person get some money and ain't never had none? Come on now. Maybe an inheritance or a gift. Or maybe they lucked up and won some lottery money. How long you think they keep it? Because they're not stable. They're giving it away, loaning it. They got, you know, some people get some money, they got to get a whole family son. Start off with mama, then daddy. Then here come the sisters and the brothers. Then here come the nieces and the nephews. Then here come the cousins. And the next thing you know, you're poor, not poor, poor all over again. Because you're not stable. God would be a monster if he blessed me beyond my capacity to handle it. Let me try this out because y'all didn't say nothing. God would be a monster if he gave me what he knew would crush me. You ever seen folk testify in church? God gave me a car, hallelujah, and they can't even put tires on it. The Bible says the blessings of the Lord are without sorrow. 
God ain't going to give you no car and you can't afford the maintenance on it. If you got a Volkswagen budget, don't be buying no Cadillac. I wish I had a witness around it. If your budget is for a 2004 automobile, don't be trying to buy no 2014, 2016. Talking about God. God would be cruel to bless me with something I'm not ready to handle. So you know what he does? He seasons my life with the peppers of trouble. Oh, trouble will make you get stable in a hurry. Oh yeah, trouble will make you stop running your raggedy mouth all the time. Trouble will make you stay at home on Friday and Saturday night. You get in enough trouble, you stop running all over town causing trouble. I wish I had a witness. You got to go sit down in jail for a little while. You got to go somewhere. You sit in the hospital for a few nights. You will calm yourself down. Some of you worried about your children, but they're in God's hand. And you say, but that boy stays in trouble. How do you think God is going to stabilize him? Trouble establishes us. Man, I get in trouble, I get quiet. My friends call me. Hey, man, I ain't heard from you in a few days. <laughs> That's because I got some trouble going on. He sta- everybody say he establishes us. He stabilizes us. Have you ever tried to eat on a table that wasn't stable? Yeah. I was in a restaurant. We're sitting at the restaurant in the table, and the table rocking back and forth, your tea splashing, water splashing. But if you call for the server and say, hey, this table ain't stable, what can you do for my unstable table? What they'll do for the unstable table in order to stabilize your table, they will often take paper or matchbooks and get down underneath the shortest leg and build it up so your unstable table can become stable. When your life is unstable, what does God have to do? Sometimes he got to get underneath the weakest area, the shortest area. And he's got to build it up through some ups and downs. He's got to force you to go to your prayer room. He's got to make you fast every once in a while. He'll make you come to church more often. He'll make you dig deeper in your treasures because you're looking for a harvest. He will stabilize your unstable table. But not only the word stable, but the word balance. Can you say balance? balance. Say it again, please. He will give you what? Balance. You know, some saints ain't balanced right. Some saints are too worldly. Yeah. And other saints are too deep in religion. Yeah. You know, I met some church folk. They got the, the Bible they carry looks like the pulpit Bible up on the pulpit. And every other word is praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank yeah. you, Jesus. I mean, they can't even say good morning at work. They walk in on the job, you say good morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, baby, I don't mean no harm, but I just want to say, you can say good morning and God won't be mad. I mean, every time somebody want to talk to you, you ain't got to take it to the church. 
you can talk about the football game, the basketball game. I mean, you can talk about fashion. I like them shoes. Who does your hair? And God won't care. I ain't, th- I ain't throwing no shade on you. I'm just telling you, some saints are just off balance. My mother would say, go over to, go over to Mr. Smith's store and get me, get me some bologna and get me some cheese. Mr. Smith back then, you remember, they trusted everybody. And you bought stuff on credit. And he had some scales in the store. And he would, how much she want? She want a half a pound. And he'd put it on one side, and he'd have weights on the other side. I don't have a witness here. You ever seen scales that you had to get the right weight? And the only way to get the right weight, you put what you're buying on one side, and you keep adding weight on the other side until you get it even. Have you ever noticed in your life when something good happens, it almost seems like something bad happens? You got some money you weren't looking for, and the next week the car breaks down. Got some money you weren't looking for, and all of a sudden the roof starts leaking. You'd already plan how you're going to enjoy the money, and then your daughter or son calls you from college, and they need every dime you just cashed in that check. See, God will send you enough blessing to keep you happy, but he'll send you enough trouble in order to keep you praying. Because if he kept on piling up goodies on one side and then pile a little weight on the other side, you'd get off balance and topple over. Can I give you one last one and now we're going home? Poise. The word poise comes out of the word establish. Everybody say poise. See, we, we, we black folk, we understand poise. That's when you're cool. That's when you're calm, collected. That's when you see a dude and you know he got the right swag. He's got poise. I'm from Tuscaloosa, you know. I grew up there during the, and as, as a young boy, I'd run into Paul Bear Bryant. And now you got Nick Saban there. And, you know, I always wanted to play football, but my mother, my foster mother, would never let me play because she said I would get hurt. Well, that wasn't the real reason. She was an old lady. The reason she finally told me the reason she didn't want me to play was because on the application you had to put how much income was in the house. And she said she wasn't going to let those white folks know how much she was getting in her check. So I couldn't play football. I could only go to the practice. But you know what I noticed, Calvin? Even with Alabama, even now, Saban developing quarterbacks. And he takes some, some guy. We don't get the best quarterbacks in Alabama. We just get some fellas from somewhere. The best quarterbacks, you know, they're over in Mississippi. They're down in Florida. they somewhere. And Saban picks these guys up. And he teaches them poise. He takes material that no other coach would even look at. And works on it and turns them into champion. And when they snap the ball, you see the quarterback breaking back. Poise. That's poise. Yes, sir. Listen, when you're playing football, sisters, 
And you back on that offensive line, and when you snap that ball, you got tons of muscle coming after you yeah. if you're the quarterback. Oh, yeah. That front line, those linebackers, and everything else coming at you, and they're growling like animals. Yeah. And if it were you, you'd probably run. If it were me, I'd give them the ball if they wanted that bad. But why is the quarterback so cool? So calm? So collected? Why can he keep his balance and then get his foot set first and then throw the pass? Because in practice, he got rushed by his own team. In scrimmage on the practice field, the defense plays the offense of the same team. And the quarterback is able to handle the team when they go out to play other teams, when they play Florida or LSU. He's able to handle them because he was rushed by his own team. Yeah, yeah. Anybody up in here ever felt rushed by your own family? Anybody here ever felt like the folk that ought to love you are the ones that are abusing you the most? Anybody ever felt like folk at the church that you thought you'd get along with are the very ones that get on your nerves? You say, well, why is that happening? Because you got to meet these demons. And you ain't going to know how to handle a demon if you can't handle the person sitting on this pew in front of you. Oh, I ain't got no help up in here. You're not going to be able to handle the devil if you can't handle your brothers or sisters or your own children or your husband or your wife. If you fall apart because your family got on your nerves, what are you going to do when you have to meet the devil? So God lets you get rushed sometimes by your own folk. So that when he calls you into his work, yes. you'll have poise. All right. Which means you'll have the ability right. to do the Lord's work yeah. without breaking a sweat. Yeah. You know, I heard him say on television, never let him see you sweat. And when you're doing spiritual warfare, you cannot let the devil see you sweat. Because you realize greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. You know why some people can't evangelize is because they're scared. But when you've been rushed enough, you can go out on the street and talk to the crackheads about Jesus. You can go to the jail and preach to the prisoners about Jesus. You can go to the public park and talk about Jesus. And when you see people who have a bad attitude, you can love them anyhow. Sometimes the Lord 
lets us get rusty so we can have poise. And I heard Paul say, said uh, we're trusting in the Lord uh, who establishes us uh, oh yes he does uh, and I want to close Beulah by telling you trust in God at all times you know time is filled with swift transition not on earth a move can stand build your hope on things eternal to God's unchanging hand I want to tell you this uh, my hope is built uh, on nothing less uh, than Jesus blood and righteousness uh, I dare not uh, trust the sweetest frame uh, but holy lean 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 on Jesus name on Christ the solid rock I stand on the ground on the ground all on the ground is sinking sand what he make a way have you ever tried him Won't he hold you in the midst of your trouble? Yeah!